Well, again, I want to welcome you this morning, and I welcome you if you're visiting with us, and I welcome you, especially if it's been a while since you've been in church. I'm really grateful that you're here this morning. It's an important day. Thank you for coming and honoring God in this great celebration. You are welcome here. This morning, we're looking at the resurrection again, and having been a pastor here for eight years, I think, okay, it's the same story, same message, but what can I do differently this year? And I was thinking about it from the perspective of a comeback story. This is the greatest comeback story that's ever been told. You know, there's a number of reasons why we like comeback stories. As I was doing some research this week, I realized this is basically a genre of literature. There is so much out there of stories of comeback. And I think one of the reasons that we like them is because we can picture the former glory of what was going on in the person's life before the fall or before whatever happened. I think another reason we like comeback stories is we identify with people who have strong perseverance. We wish we could be like them. And then maybe even another reason we identify is we can picture ourselves as that underdog and think, ah, I hope that I could have that kind of strength and rise again. Let me give you some examples, and I'm going to avoid, for the time being, any sports category. I'm going to start just with fictional characters. The first one I want you to think about is Rocky Balboa. The great Rocky Balboa. Now, his comeback story is sort of a half comeback story because he's not so smart, but what he does is he uses his face as a punching bag to wear down his opponent. And when he's lying on the mat, we expect him to quit, but he doesn't. He crawls back up, staggers back to his feet, and takes Apollo to the 15th round and, you know, technically loses, but really he, he surpassed anyone's expectation. That's perseverance there. That's a comeback story. That's in the category of fictional characters. But let me think of the category of business. I wonder how many of you have an Apple product in your pocket right now. This guy, if you don't know who it is, maybe the computer behind him will give it away. That's an early picture of Steve Jobs. He built the Apple company, and then his own people fired him. And many of you know the story. After running the company into to disrepair, they actually asked him to come back and take over, and he did, and he, and he took the company to new heights. What an incredible comeback story that is. Or I think of the category of Hollywood. Um, this guy... Uh, that is a not flattering picture of the handsome Robert Downey Jr. who got addicted to drugs and alcohol and eventually got in trouble with the law. But he's in recovery and he's back on the top of his game. He's in Hollywood again, on the, on the big screen again and doing really well. And then lastly, from the category of politics, you might not recognize that guy without the beard and top hat, but Abraham Lincoln is regarded widely as the greatest president that has ever lived. And he overcame some huge setbacks. He was diagnosed with melancholy, which is a pretty sweet word for what we call depression. And not only that, but he, he ran for Senate twice and was defeated. And many other setbacks before he finally won and was elected as the president. You know, he said something that's really interesting this morning as we think about Jesus. He said, any man can suffer adversity, but if you want to test a person's character, give them power. And I'm thinking about Jesus, and I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and this is what happens. It says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. You know, Jesus had the power at any time to stop what was happening. And I think about myself. If I had command of thousands of angels, what would I have done? I know what I would have done. I would have defended my own honor. I would have called down all these angels, and I would have shown everyone who I was. But you see, Jesus didn't come to defend his honor. He didn't come to prove himself. He came to die and then to rise. And on the third day, everything was set right. But he didn't call down those angels, and he hung on that cross and suffered that derision. And he did it out of love for us. And I think about how when those angels were speaking to the women at the tomb, don't you remember what he said? The angel says to them, don't you remember what he said when he was in Galilee, when he was still with you? How the son of man must be handed over into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Jesus called his shot ahead of time. Wow, that gets our attention. Now, for the sports category, this next guy. This is an artist rendition of Babe Ruth. Now, 1932 World Series, tied up 4-4 in this game. He's, he's at the bat. He's taken two strikes the first two pitches, and the Cubs in their dugout are deriding him. They're mocking him. The fans are doing the same, and he points. And we have real video footage of this. He points, but it's not clear what he points to. He might have been saying, I've got one more strike. Don't count me out yet. He might have been saying, back off, pitcher. He might have been saying, I'm going to hit it so far over the center field wall that this is going to be famous. The next pitch comes in, and he did just that. He hit it all the way over with a tailwind, so it went really far. And then he, and then he ran around the bases and, and made all kinds of gestures to the Cubs and the fans, right? <laughs> being the great, great uh, Bambino, being who he was, savvy with the media, when asked about this and realized what had happened, he just played right into it. And as he told the story, it got more and more of him. I walked up there and I pointed where I was going to hit the ball and I hit it exactly, you know, he, he really, and he never, he never said anything other than that. He claimed that he called his shot. And so it's famous, it's infamous. And this artist depicts it in this painting. But doesn't it get our attention? I mean, the news media was all over that. The headlines read, Babe Ruth calls his shot. And everybody ate it up. Jesus called his shot in an even more powerful way. He not only named what was going to happen, he named the day that he was going to rise. On the third day, I will rise. And nobody believed him, not even his own disciples. Now, I want to say this to you this morning. If you are here and are struggling with the idea of the resurrection, you are in really good company. The first skeptics Jesus had to convince were his own disciples. That, that gospel reading is just so staggering. The women come back, and these, these were like trusted, reputable women that were part of their core group of disciples. They had been to the tomb and came running back with this testimony. And it says in verse 11, but these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They just didn't believe it. And Jesus had to go and convince them. And so if you're wrestling with the idea of resurrection, if you're skeptical about this story and what we celebrate this morning, you are in good company. Take heart about that. And Jesus sought them out and he won them over. Another thing I want to say to you is that if you're struggling with the resurrection, there are some amazing explanations to many of the big questions. Come see me. I've got a half a dozen books that are excellent that make a really, really good case 
for the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm, I'm not saying it, it only is about getting the answers, but this is not a fool's religion. Christianity makes sense. In fact, it makes the best sense of what we see in the world today. It explains so many things. So it's not just a blind leap of faith, but there are really good answers to the questions people have. And I want to encourage you to do a little reading. Do some research. Don't just say, ah, this can't be true and and move on to other things. Research, read some things, think about it. Look at the case, look at the testimony, the case for Christ as one of the books is called. It's a powerful story. But not only that, if you're wrestling with the resurrection and struggling with this message, I want to encourage you to do what I did when I began, which is ask God for the gift of faith. Because the answers and the intellectual assent and all that stuff doesn't matter. It's what, it's, what matters is faith. It's believing in the resurrection and then all the implications that come from it. That's what changes our lives. Now this morning, I could stand here and give you a number of convincing arguments why this is true. But what I'd rather do this morning is talk briefly about some of the many benefits to those who believe in the resurrection. And I want to start first off with a big word, which is justification. That's a big theological term for the forgiveness of our sins. We probably have heard that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But what does that really mean? Well, it means that we are at odds with God and are under his wrath and deserve judgment. But in love for us, what he did is he sent his son and Jesus went to the cross and took our punishment there. He died for our sins on that cross so that we could be forgiven by God, so that we could be declared as right or righteous or justified. That is an amazing gift. And that is available for anyone who believes in Christ. You trust in Christ, confess your sins, and God forgives you and credits you with God's righteousness. What an amazing gift that is. That's one of the benefits of the cross. Another one is that he gives us the ability to live a holy life. He gives us power to actually live the way we were supposed to live, to do what we were designed to do, to overcome the patterns of sin and the brokenness and all those things that hold us down. And it's the resurrection that does that. Because Jesus is alive, he comes and ministers to his people. He will give you the power to overcome these things. The resurrection proves that you are forgiven and that Jesus is alive. The Apostle Paul, writing after all of this happened and and after years of prayerful thought on the implications of the resurrection, wrote in his letter to the Romans two things. One, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Our sins put him on the cross. That's why he was delivered up and he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our forgiveness. That's how we know that that it took, that the sacrifice was perfect and did what it was supposed to. And then Paul says, and it's appropriate for a baptism Sunday, he says, we were baptized therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's about a new way of living empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to live the life that we couldn't depart from him. The resurrection made that possible for us. And then finally, so justification, and then the other word is sanctification, which is being made holy, learning to be able to walk the way Jesus walked. He died our death so we could live the life he modeled. So justification, sanctification, and then the third thing is the eternal hope. You can read all the philosophy there is out there, and the best you can get is speculation about what happens after death. But in Christianity, you get an example of what happens after death. 
that Jesus rose, that he is alive, and gives hope to everyone in him that the same will happen for us. This is a really, really powerful thing, and it gives us hope in dark times. It means we can press through the difficulties of this life knowing that this is not the end. Death is not the end. Whenever I do a a funeral or a memorial service in the church, the liturgy on the back actually says, this liturgy is an Easter liturgy because we are celebrating the resurrection every time we're remembering someone that has died, that that wasn't the end of it. And Jesus said in the upper room discourse, I'm going ahead and preparing a place for you and I will come and take you to be where I am. And he describes his father's house as having many rooms and a place for those who are his. So that gives us a hope that the philosophers can't touch. We actually can look at what happened to Jesus and think, that's what's going to happen to us. We will be raised to new life in a new body. We will be with God, reconciled to him. It's an amazing thing. Now let me conclude with giving you two testimonies of two different kinds of lives. These are two powerful men who both died in the year 1899. And in that year, um, they had... Brilliant minds, these two, but had totally different testimonies. One was an agnostic, and one was a famous Christian. And you may have, might have heard of both of them, or at least one of them. The agnostic was Robert Ingersoll. Um, Harvard, for more than 100 years, has annually had a lecture series named for Ingersoll. He was a brilliant mind and a great speaker, and he made a career of arguing against Christianity. He was against the church and particularly the doctrine of resurrection and was very outspoken about that and published and all these different things. He hoped in an afterlife, but he had no knowledge of God and rejected Christianity, so his hope wasn't based on anything. His death came very suddenly. No warning. He just died. And it shocked his family with really an unmitigated shock. And his wife was so distraught about this, she actually kept the coffin with the body in their house for several days and until it became a health threat to them. And then they had him cremated. And in the, in the wake, at the, wherever the, the cremation happened, it was such a dismal scene that the newspapers picked up on this and published about it, how awful it felt. There was no hope, and his death was just an utter devastation to everyone there. Now, contrast that with the testimony of Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, as he went by, the famous evangelist, died also in the same year, very well-known man. He had a prolific speaking and preaching ministry and, and raised up institutions of learning and Christian doctrine and was an amazing man, left a great legacy. He gradually got sick that year from heart failure, and, um, and as he was dying, he had some incredible things to say on the deathbed that his family heard. And it's, it's recorded by his son-in-law in, a, in a, a biography on his father-in-law, uh, Dwight. He, he was going in and out of consciousness on his last night. And by six in the morning, he was beginning to mumble certain things. And he said, um, he started to revive a little bit. And he said, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. And his son was right there with him. And he said, dad, you're, you're dreaming. And then he got very alert and he said, no, this is no dream, Will. It's beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling me. I must go. This is my coronation day. And then his daughter started to pray for him to get healthy. And he stopped her and he said, don't. It's, I'm going. It's my time. And then he described, he said, I see the children's faces. And he named the two grandchildren of his that had died earlier that year. And he could see them. Now, what a victorious passing that is. 
What a hopeful event. There's no valley here, he says. This is, this, if this is death, this is bliss. Now, I need to say, not every Christian has that experience. And the story, but many do. There are wide stories out there about what happens. But it points to the difference. There is such hope because of the resurrection. This is far from all there is. There is so much more beyond this. And this morning, I want to encourage you to place your faith in Jesus, to trust in the resurrection and what it means for you. It is an amazing story. It's the greatest comeback ever. God is alive. Now, would you pray with me? Father, I've already asked that you would give us faith. And I pray that you would add to this preaching of your word, your Holy Spirit to come. Open our hearts to receive you. Help us, Lord, to walk in newness of life. Would you give us joy overflowing this day? For Jesus is alive. And I pray this in his name. Amen.